0: Welcome to Talking in Vain, a podcast of the Infusion Nurses Society. I'm Dawn Behrendt, the Clinical Education and Publications Manager for the INS. My guest today is Judy Smith. Judy has been a vascular access nurse for 20 years and is currently Clinical Manager of Vascular Access at Ascension Seton in Austin, Texas. Judy has published studies on nurse behavioral intention, to use best practice techniques for needleless connector disinfection and time required for adequate disinfection of needleless connectors. She has also been a speaker at several local national conferences and served as keynote speaker at intravenous nursing New Zealand in 2012. Judy recently received the INS Infusion Excellence Award for Leadership. The INS Leadership Award is presented to an infusion nurse in a management position or higher who provides leadership, guidance, dedicated service, and vision of success to his or her organization and exemplifies the traits of a leader. Congratulations, Judy, on receiving the INS Infusion Excellence Award for Leadership, and thank you so much for being my guest today on Talking in Vain.
1: Well, thank you so much for having me here today. Um, I'm happy to be here and um, very uh, humbled and honored by the award.
0: Judy, your nomination for this Leadership Award described some of the accomplishments you've achieved in your healthcare setting. Let's talk about the work that you're currently working on related to switching from changing a short peripheral catheter every so many days to removal only when clinically indicated. Tell us how that project's going, and um, what are some of the challenges that you're working through.
1: Well, thank you uh, for asking. Yeah, this is um, a very exciting project that I've had in mind for a while. Um, my goal is to accomplish this. This. Year, um, so uh, before we actually make the move to changing our short peripheral catheters every as clinically indicated, uh, we need to make sure we have a few things in place to set us up for success. So, um, our first step is going to be switching to a new um, peripheral catheter um, across our network. Uh, I think we need to uh, do that to. Um, Help set us up for uh, our catheter's longevity. Um, Mm -hmm. So that's one of the pieces um, that we're putting in place right now. Also, um, we are going to take a really close look at our IV assessment skills and documentation. Um, When we change to clinically indicated, um, which is, I believe, the right thing to do, well supported by research. we um, need to make sure that we are top-notch IV site assessors mm-hmm, and documenters. Mm-hmm. So um, that is a piece that will come soon after our, um, our change in IV catheters. So um, once we have that done, that assessment, And then um, whatever education or training or coaching needs to happen as a result of that assessment, um, we will definitely um, need to have that top-notch IV assessment skills down um, uh, before we make this switch. Mm -hmm. And now I manage an eight-hospital network, and so I have learned over time that when we're making a change such as this one, we need to pick one place, Mm -hmm. one hospital possibly even one or two units, Um, take it down to a very small population, make the change, learn what we need to learn from that, uh, fix what we need to fix. um, And then once we have uh, things going smoothly and safely for our patients, then at that point, we will spread uh, the practice. Mm
0: Mm-hmm. I really appreciate that. And um, even in a, a one single hospital setting where it's a large setting, it is very challenging to go housewide all at once with anything. So you are so smart to to, to pick one area, um, iron out all the kinks there, and then implement uh, in a broader way. So let's talk just a little bit about the importance of documentation for this. I have found, and I think many of our other clinicians that, that speak to us at INS are saying documentation is such a challenge, and maybe there are times, too, where we haven't been as good about documenting our assessment of the short peripheral catheter.
1: I think that's true. I think that's um, very true. And so... Um, this is why uh, our plan is to do um a really thir- a deep dive into what our assessment looks like and actually comparing you know the the documented assessment with um a visual assessment of the ivy site so that we can make sure that um we have an accurate assessment and accurate documentation of what that ivy site truly looks like
0: mm-hmm. um
1: because if we don't have that then uh, we are setting ourselves up for failure right. um with with our clinically indicated changes um mm-hmm. uh, we need our nurses to be um really really um, taking a close look at that IV site, and I think it's really easy to, you know, everybody's got an IV. It's easy to think of IVs as no big deal, you know, the peripheral mm-hmm. IV mm-hmm. is just something that everyone has, and um, we don't often think about that as something that can really cause harm to the patient, and yet that's what it is, um, a direct path between the skin and the bloodstream, so um, this is a piece that I think is crucial. mm-hmm.
0: mm-hmm. And it really is important to know the what is beforehand, because when you implement change, we need to be able to measure the difference. So uh, very good. Let's go ahead and talk about another clinical project that you've been working on or that you have already established, and that's related to the work of midline catheters. So tell us about one of the biggest challenges that you faced when implementing midline catheters. Well, I had
1: two big safety concerns uh, when we implemented midlines across the network. One was the INS recommendation um, that nothing go through a midline catheter with an osmolality less or greater than 900, and yet I think most of us... Um, even in infusion world, but um, certainly most of our nurses at the bedside in the hospital aren't don't really know what the osmolality of the solutions they infuse is. Mm-hmm. And so I did not feel that it was a safe thing to do to implement midlines and just say nothing can go through this that has an osmolality greater than 900. Um, that just didn't feel like a safe thing to do to me. And so... Um, We worked with um, a pretty big group from Quality Infection Prevention Pharmacy Nursing um, to come up with a midline drug list, so this is um, a list of commonly used medications um, in our facilities, certainly not a comprehensive list, um, but a list of the more common drugs and whether they were safe to go through a midline or Mm -hmm. not safe to go through a midline. Mm -hmm. Um, And so once we had that in place, um, we felt better, you know, about being able to move forward with midlines. Mm -hmm. And then um, the other piece that concerned me was a midline uh, can easily be mistaken for a pick.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: So, um, and, you know, harm can result, you know, if we treat a midline as if it were a pick. And so we really wanted a way to very clearly um, identify a midline as a midline uh, versus a PIC. And Mm -hmm. there are just things about the catheter and some small things that are um, readily available, um, but we just felt like that might not be enough. And so we um, designed a label to go on all of our midline catheters, says, you know, this is not a central line, this is a midline,
0: mm-hmm.
1: um, just to make sure that it was very clear um, whether the catheter was a pick or a midline. So once we got those two pieces in place, the midline drug list and the, um, the label to make sure that we're very clear about what we're working mm-hmm. with, then um, we implemented our midline catheters at one facility. And so um, p- as part of our imp- implementation, uh, we worked with the, the medical team um, to teach them about midlines, what could go through them, what could not go through them, mm-hmm. um, as well as our nursing staff. And we just did um, at our first facility, we did um, roaming in services, so um, wandered around the hospital <laughs> and um, just Gathered nurses as we could, and to teach them about midlines and we did um you know a a written check off for every nurse because um, we really wanted to make sure that people were getting the information that they needed right. Right. um we also yeah we also created a midline job aid that's out there um on paper and also available on our website. Mm-hmm. Uh, for pick requests, so people can easily reference that as far as how to care for a midline, how to flush a midline, how to do the dressing change, those kinds of things. Right.
0: Now, did clinicians have questions about um, being able to draw blood from a midline catheter?
1: Yes. Yes, they did. And, 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 and we do allow uh, blood draws from a midline, but we find that midlines don't keep their blood return You know, well enough to do blood draws from them, Mm -hmm. um, except for just a few days, Mm -hmm.
0: Mm -hmm. which is unfortunate. Yep. There are always challenges with that. And uh, some have discovered that um, using a smaller syringe for blood draws from midlines sometimes helps with that a little bit because it doesn't put so much pressure, backward pressure on the line and collapsing that catheter. Um, but certainly, mm-hmm. we always want to stay with a 10 mil for flushing. So, um, always, always interesting. That's a conversation that comes up every time we mention midlines, and and some of the fair disappointment that clinicians and even providers have in the ability to draw blood or to verify blood return, um, which is concerning. Yeah. Yeah.
1: Yes, yeah. it is. Yeah. Yes, it is. So we prepared our nurses in advance um, for this to say, you know, yes, you can draw blood from this this catheter, but you need to know that you won't be able to for very long. Mm -hmm. So, And at that time, when we did our initial education, we hadn't learned yet about the smaller syringe issue. But now that we know that, we are passing that on as
0: we can Mm -hmm. um, Mm -hmm. to let people know. Yeah interesting that's been it's been a tough work and i commend you it sounds like you're very well organized and i'm going to wish you well as you continue through the rest of your system now let's yeah let's Uh um talk now about a little bit of the the rest of your work i know that you manage a vascular access team that services eight hospitals and um, yes. without even having to say it, we know that you are really, really busy in doing that. Um, so being a leader who manages a specialty team, it really comes with some unique challenges. What are some of the day-to-day challenges that you work with with your team? Well, um,
1: communication, you know, is always a challenge and you know even if you're doing it well there's always room to do it better and new things to learn and new challenges that pop up so one of the challenges of managing one team that covers eight hospitals is that we're never all together in the same place at the same time mm-hmm. I shouldn't say never but rarely are we all together in the same place at the same time and I also have um, some key members of my team that live pretty far away from our service area. So um, that makes even like after work or, you know, before work, um, getting together sort of challenging as well. So um, we um, communicate every day um, using group texting. Um, So um, Monday through Friday I staff four nurses. Uh, Weekends I staff three. And we have a 10-hour hours of operation. Mm -hmm. We're available 8 to 6.30, Mm -hmm. 365 days a year. Mm -hmm. Um, So we usually have um, someone covering the north market, a couple people in our central market, and then one person covering our south market. So, um, and then from there we travel around according to where the greatest need is. I see. So um, most of the time our nurses don't stay in one hospital all day. Um, they they move around, and we use that group text to communicate. You know where we are, if we need help, um, if we're at a standstill at one facility and are available to go help someone else.
0: Mm-hmm.
1: Uh, we keep that uh, going. All day um, on that group text, and then I um, serve sort of as our charge nurse um, on Monday through Friday, so I can kind of keep an eye on how things are moving and direct traffic.
0: Going mm-hmm. to be
1: the air traffic controller, <laughs> so to speak, as um, as uh, we move throughout our day. Wow!
0: Wow! Good work. Good work. Well, let's Damn. change the subject yet again. I want to talk about uh, a time when you collaborated with a director of nursing research and led a nursing research study entitled Predictors of Nurse Utilization of Best Practice Disinfection Techniques in Needless Intravenous Systems. Can you tell us what you learned from that work? Oh,
1: that was um, one of the most fun things I've ever done um, is that study. And it kind of came out of a time when I was at a conference and heard for the first time uh, about uh, Wendy Kaler's work, um, her research study, um, which was the first one, at least that I knew of, that told us that a 15-second scrub uh, will prevent bacterial transfer through the needleless connector into the bloodstream. And um, I was um, just intrigued by that um, because up until then, I didn't know that uh, CLABSI was preventable in that way. You know, I didn't know that this was really a preventable condition. And so I felt very excited about it. But I heard um, nurses seated around me start to say things like, oh, you'll never get nurses to scrub for 15 seconds. And that... I. I just was appalled um, at that because I believe in nurses. You know, I think that um, we are here to help the patient. And while we are not perfect, if we understand that there is something that we can do um, to um, keep our patients safe, then I think we'll do our best to do it. And so um, from that experience came this study about nurse behavioral intention to do the right thing. To you know, to scrub adequately, mm-hmm. and um, uh, so um, we did a study um, in our um, network's magnet hospitals, um, and um, came out with some um, some pretty good learning from that. Um, one um, that surprised me a little bit at the time was that our um, peers. Um, have the strongest influence over what we actually do at the bedside. Mm -hmm. Um, It's not what experts say. It's not what the manager wants us to do. It's what our peers do that has the strongest influence. Um, And so uh, I think that's a really important takeaway uh, to make sure that our our peer group leaders, uh, for example, preceptors, mm-hmm. are actually up to date on the latest and greatest as far as best practices for disinfection
0: of needless connectors. Mm-hmm. Yes. Yes. So what did you conclude? You know, what, what practice um, recommendations did you make as a result of the study?
1: Well, one was... Um, to keep our preceptors updated. And I actually did a preceptor project as part of my graduate work um, uh, to work with preceptors and make sure, created a brochure designed for preceptors um, just to help make sure that they understand what are the best practices so that they can pass them along. And then uh, when I teach um, our new uh, nurses, our new graduate nurses um, coming to our facilities, or our experienced nurses who are new to us, I always talk to them about um, their influence. You know, whether they're preceptors or not, other people are watching what they do. Mm-hmm. You know? And mm-hmm. it's really important that they understand that what they're doing is influencing other people.
0: Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. Very good. Yeah, I'm going to put you in the, on the spot here a little bit. Judy, if you were to encourage someone else Um, another clinician toward a path of leadership what would you say to that nurse i would say find a mentor
1: you know find a person that you can you trust who is um willing to um, kind of be that person when you have an idea you can bring it to them talk it through get some guidance on how to proceed who to involve Um, as you move forward with that, I think just having someone either, um, you know, at your facility or, um, an INS buddy, um, uh, I think having, um, a mentor,
0: uh, to help you begin Mm -hmm. is so, so very important. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Good advice. Well, Judy, it was a real pleasure talking to you today. And on behalf of the INS and its membership, please let me congratulate you again on receiving the INS Infusion Excellence Award for Leadership. After talking well, with you, you I, I, I can see how well-deserved this distinction is.
1: Well, thank you so, so much. I really appreciate that.
0: Okay. And this concludes this podcast of Talking in vain.